0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, so we're continuing our series through 2 Corinthians and we're looking for courage. I think that's the theme of this letter. Paul, it's it's a very autobiographical letter. He's writing about himself a lot and he's writing in the midst of tons of different struggles and challenges and he's finding courage and he's wanting to give his audience courage. So let's remember what courage is, because courage is wonderful, isn't it? Uh, The dictionary says courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. You have anything in your life you have to do and you're afraid of it? I do. Um, Need courage. Courage is the strength in the face of pain or grief. Do you ever feel like pain or grief is just gonna knock you over and leave you there? Um, Courage gives strength. It continues, courage is what makes someone capable of facing extreme danger and difficulty without retreating. It implies not only bravery and a dauntless spirit, but the ability to endure in times of adversity. We need courage, don't we? We need courage to do what's right. We need courage to fight what's wrong. We need courage to make it through hard times. And you might be sitting there saying, well, that sounds wonderful. I'm not sure where you got courage out of Paul's travel plans. You read to us about Paul's travel schedule. Um, Who cares? Just a little background. For this passage to make sense, we have to realize something about courage and something about Paul. Something Something about courage and something about Paul. From the mindset of this passage, courage has a source. And it comes from what we could call a faithful boast. Courage has a source, it's a faithful boast. So to have courage, you need to boast. And it, it, the way they're using this word, it's not an ego thing. It's, it's not a self-centered um, ego thing. It's, it's confidence in something beautiful that really is outside of yourself. Confidence in something beautiful, something that motivates you, drives you, gives you strength, you find courage from it. So you can imagine, um, imagine a mother taking on a fight she'd never normally take. In this corner, some lady weighing 120 pounds. In that corner some beefy brute of a dude. She should never take him on unless her child's in danger. And then what is she gonna do? She's gonna kick his tail, right? With courage, with courage. Why? Because she has that boast, that thing she loves, that that motivates her, her child. That's that kind of an idea. Confidence in something beautiful outside of yourself. To have courage, you need a boast, okay? But not only do you need a boast, it needs to be a faithful boast. To have courage, you you need a boast that will sustain you because it's easy for us to boast in something that's secondhand; that's not worth it, they can't carry the weight. So imagine someone who's courageously fighting all the time to show that they're right. You ever met anybody like that? They will courageously debate people, get in people's face, they will, you're just like, wow! I mean, with brashness, they are in people's face but it's to show that they're right And in the end, is that gonna be a faithful boast? We're not gonna have any friends in the end. It didn't give them courage they needed. So you need a faithful boast, does that make sense? Something beautiful, something true to motivate you, to keep you going. So that was something about courage to understand this passage, you need a faithful boast. Second, something about Paul. You're gonna see here that Paul um, doesn't just count for a regular fellow like the rest of us. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.1, that's the way Paul opens this letter. In 2 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul says, Paul, and then he calls himself something. Do you see that word? An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. An apostle. So what is an apostle? It's one of those not very um, cool things, maybe, about Christianity, but the, the house is built on it. Our faith comes from apostles. Apostles are men that Jesus, the risen Jesus Christ, he chose them to proclaim him to the world. And so they have a unique authority from Jesus to represent Jesus and say, hey, this is, this is who I am, this is, what, or this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus has done, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Paul's an apostle. Um, one of the biggest complaints against the church in the world is what? Everybody there is a hypocrite, right? And we remember, if you claim to follow Christ, your life has an echo out there for other people. For some people, you might be the only view on what it means to be a Christian. That's, that's a bit of a responsibility, isn't it? Um, maybe the, st- the stakes are a little higher for somebody like me because of my title, I'm a pastor, okay? If I burn the ship down, if I go and do something horrid, I let a lot of people down. Lot of people down. So the stakes are a little higher for me, the Bible says that. Maybe there's some famous Bible teacher out there, or famous pastor, or famous Christian leader. It, the stakes are even higher for him because his influence is so much greater, right? It's important that we live what we preach. But, but none of that, me, you, some great Christian preacher, none of that has anything, it can't even compare with what it means to be an apostle. The apostles are the only way to know Jesus Christ, their message, there's, there's nothing else. And so the point here is, because Paul is God's apostle, if Paul is not faithful in his life, how he lives, how he treats people, and guess what that says about his message? You can't trust his message either. And Paul's goal, look what he wants, Galatians 6.14. What does Paul boast in? Far be it from me to boast except in what? The cross of our Lord Jesus Paul's boast, his ultimate boast, is in Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done. And then Paul also says to the Corinthians here in this passage, verse 24, we work with you for your joy. So what does Paul want you to boast in? What does he want your faithful boast to be? Jesus, and who he is. But, Because Paul had to make some travel plans, there's a lot of drama at this church. He's got opponents in this church in Corinth saying, you know what, Paul's a flake. And then they're saying Paul manipulates people for his own purposes. They're saying he talks big in his letters but in person he's not the same. He's a hypocrite, he's a fraud, he's just using us. These are some false teachers in Corinth saying this based on his travel plans. See look, he said he was gonna visit and then he didn't and he wrote us this harsh letter. Dude's a fraud, we can't even believe what he says. That's basically what's happening in the church. So do you see now why it's important about his travel plans? He's an apostle. So if he wasn't faithful in how he lived, then what does that say about his message? You can't trust him. Which means if Paul isn't faithful in his integrity, there's no boast for you here in Christianity. It's actually a big deal. Go somewhere else to find a boast. But if he he is faithful then maybe there is something here for you, the ultimate faithful boast to give you courage for every situation. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at kind of three parts. Number one, Paul's faithfulness. Number two, where it comes from, God's faithfulness. And number three, our boast, your boast. I want you to think about, uh, if you will, what your heart leans on to get you through dark times, what your heart hopes in what your heart trusts in? What's your boast? What's your joy, your passion? And is it in the right place? Is it a faithful boast that you have? So first, Paul, we're gonna see Paul is faithful. Now, there's two ways to argue, really, I think, for the faithfulness of the apostles. I could go into what people call apologetics and we could talk about how the, the apostles were in, the, in a unique position to see if Jesus really rose from the dead. Right, they, they saw him. And they proclaimed him, and so we could say, hey, look, these leaders, they never, they never quit on this message, and they, they went even to death and suffering for this. So these, their voice is legitimate. We, we could do that, try to prove it that way. It's a totally different situation here with Paul, because he's writing to people who've known him for about seven years or so. He's lived with them, he's taught them, he's sent them letters, there's back and forth, he's no stranger to them. And yet, he's having to deal with slander about him with these people he knows and loves. Uh, Have you ever experienced slander in a community that's close to you? Um, It's one of the most painful, ugly experiences I think. When you know the long text comes in. Why is it a text? I don't know. Uh, And you, you, somebody said something. Somebody claims something. You're just like. Uh, the sting of it, and then how do you deal with slander? You want to rebuild the relationship, um, but you can't blow your own horn too much. But in the same way, you have to explain what happened and why and what you meant. That's what's happening here. It's the other way for him to, these, these are people he loves and he knows. And so he's having to say, you guys, this was my integrity in that moment. So we're gonna see that. I, want you to, I think it comes in three major ways here for Paul. Number one, he talks about his conscience. Number, so there's integrity in his conscience. Number two, it's integrity in communication. Number three, integrity in motives. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. So what's Paul boasting in, in this sentence? Our boast is this, the what? Our conscience. Do you remember what a conscience is? I hope you do. Uh, what do you want to call it? It's like an internal compass, or it's, a, it's your little self-voice that kind of measures yourself and what you think and what you do. You ever, ever had your conscience go off and go, mm, you shouldn't have said that. I hope so, okay? (laughs) Have you ever had your conscience go off and even say, why are you feeling so darkly about this? It's it's a way to test yourself. And you know what? If you look up this word, uh, nobody writes about conscience more than the Apostle Paul. He is intense about his conscience. Just a couple little nuggets for you. Acts 24, 16, he's, he's actually on trial in court. He says this, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. I what? I always take what? Pains. So, what does that mean? I'm working at this. I'm intentional about this. I'm thinking about this to have a clear conscience towards God and man. I either was faithful, and if I wasn't faithful, I'm going to make it right. So, I have a clear conscience. Look what he says to Timothy. Timothy, he's he's kind of a mentor to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, keep faith, and what else should you keep? A good conscience. Timothy, you need to watch your conscience. By rejecting this, by rejecting what? Faith and a good conscience. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. So this is how important this is. If you don't listen to your conscience, if you're not looking at yourself in a certain way, you'll actually drive the ship of your faith onto the the rocks, really important. That's why uh, Christians have always loved this prayer, Psalm 19, 14, look at this prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What is that? It's a prayer for sticking with a clean conscience. So that's what Paul is saying here in verse 12. Listen, we can boast in a clean conscience towards you. We can, and, and what I love here is he says, our conscience. What does that mean? Paul's in community. There's like an apostolic community. And so he's not only just talking about his conscience, he's talking about this combined group. They're weighing one another, testing one another. Are we doing this right towards these people? So there's, there's accountability there, P- promise. We've had integrity toward you. We've had one heart toward you, Paul is saying, and we're acting for your best interest in every way. Our conscience towards you is clean. That's the first thing he says. Second thing is we have integrity in our communication. You look at verse 13 to 14 here. It's kind of hard to understand in this English translation. We're not writing to you anything other than what you've read and understand. I hope you'll fully understand just as you did partially understand. And you're like, I don't understand. (laughs) What Paul means, I believe, uh, commentators encourage this meaning. He's saying, uh, well, first of all, he's got opponents that say he writes intentionally ambiguous nature so that he can be manipulative in it. And Paul's basically saying, let me paraphrase it for you, street language, you know me for seven years, I lived with you, I planted this church, I told you the gospel first, we've written four times, you know what I teach, (laughs) you've known it from the beginning, in fact you believed it, that's why you're a church right now, is because you believed what I teach, I'm clear, later on in this letter he's gonna deal with this more specifically, look in 2 Corinthians 4, 22, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. In what way? Well, in this way. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with what? God's word. I don't mess with it. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. Paul says, I'm gonna tell you exactly what God's word says. I'm not gonna hide hard parts from you. I'm gonna tell you just an open statement, I'm gonna give it to you as genuinely and sincerely as I can, and then it's on your conscience to do with it what you will. But I'm not playing games with you, Paul says. I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you this truth in love. So first of all, integrity in his conscience, integrity in his communication. And by the way, I'm no expert, but as someone who's been studying Paul's letters for a while, and many of you are in the same boat, wouldn't you say he's got the same goal in all these things? He's propping the gospel for the benefit of the church. There's no hypocrisy there. He's sincere. He's genuine. Third, Paul says, we have integrity in our motives. I have integrity in our motives. Look at 14. Verse 14, Paul says, On the day of our Lord Jesus, he hopes, he says to Corinthians, You will boast of us as we will boast of you. That's interesting. When is he talking about? On the day of what? The Lord Jesus when is that it's when Jesus comes back it's when Jesus comes back and every motive is exposed every excuse is popped every thought tested on the day of our Lord Jesus when we see clearly how we lived who we were first of all that's Paul's boast what what moment does Paul live for the day of the Lord Jesus. He has this deep belief that he will stand before the Lord and that gives him courage for how to live in every situation. So that should land on us too. You need wisdom for your life, a good question is, how will I want to have done this when I stand before Jesus? You usually come up with some fresh ideas on how to live. How will I want to have done this when I stand before Jesus? Courage right there, I'm gonna stand before him, let's live a certain way. Paul says, that's my boast. And then, and then the surprising twist, he's being slandered and he says to the church, and on that day, we're going to boast of one another. This is a second level boast where you boast of everything good Jesus has done. Not just boasting of Jesus, but boasting of what he's done. And isn't there's a sweetness to this. Um, I'm going to boast of you on that day. I'm going to say that, church. So many good things there. People who love the Lord. So... So encouraging, so faithful. Isn't there a sweetness to this? Won't you boast of one another? Boy, that friend, they got me through it. They were there for me. They showed up, told me the truth. We're gonna boast of one another. And this, this boasting on the day of the Lord, that motivates everything Paul's trying to do. So you see, you see this in a bunch of places. Verse 15, he's talking about his travel plans. I wanted to come to you first. Why? so that you might have a second experience of grace. And it's weird language for us, but when Paul visits a church, what does he want him to have? An experience of grace. And what's that mean? God's love for you in Christ. When I come, that's what I want you to feel. It's what I want you to know. That's my motive toward you. Then in verse 23, we'll get to this next week, Paul actually gives like an oath. Verse 23, I call God to witness against me Why did he have to change his plans and not visit the second time? It was to spare you that I refrained from coming. They had had this huge, ugly controversy, um, and Paul just thought, you know what? Right now, if I go, it's gonna be too painful. It's gonna be too ugly. I'm gonna give it some space. But what was his motive in that? He tells you down in, in 24. I wrote you out of affliction and anguish of heart and with tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. Paul is saying to this church, the church who's slandering him for changing his plans and calling him a flake, he's saying, my entire motive for this was because I love you and I want what's best for you. And I've always been that way. Can't you see it? Don't you know it? Bottom line is, Paul is always For them, Look at verse 17 and 18. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Verse 17, was I vacillating? How many of you ever use the word vacillating? Maybe there's two of you smart enough for that one. (laughs) I'm not. Let me bring this down for you. Was I a flake when I wanted to do this? It totally means lightness, flake, flaky. You have any flakes in your life? You ever been guilty of being a flake? Um, Oh yeah, one thing, oh, but... That didn't fit my preferences. I'd rather sleep in, or I'd rather yes and no, and you never really know if their yes means yes or no. Because they're selfish, kind of, right? Isn't that what it comes down to? Paul says, is that what I was doing with you? Have I ever been like that with you? And then look at verse 18. As sure as God is faithful. That's a line right there. Do you hear that? Paul says, As sure as God is faithful and you can trust him, guess who else you can trust? Me, that's what Paul says. So I don't know, in a a relationship, they're slandering him, what is he saying about his conscience, about his communication, about his motives? You can trust me, I'm faithful. I'm faithful, don't you see it in my life? He's earned this trust. He has integrity. And why is that important for us? Do you trust the apostle yourself? If you trust him, you'll go there when you want to meet with the Lord. You hear what he has to say. And if you don't trust him, how will you treat the scriptures? You'll either be totally skeptical and say, this is unbelievable. By the way, if you feel that way, will you test that? Will you you check out the other side? Or if you're not totally skeptical, you'll just be like, well, there's not much in here for me and you won't ever touch it. Do you trust the apostle that when you read what he proclaims, you get experience of God's grace and that his heart for God's people is love? Anyway, this is the first point, right? Paul is faithful, huge point. But it's really just a secondary point. Here's the ultimate point. What about God? Is God faithful? I'm supposed to get like a resounding chorus or something when I ask Christians that. What, who, God, faithful? I don't know. Is God faithful? Come on, right? You don't even know how faithful. Look at this, I don't either. As sure as God is faithful, verse 18, Paul says, Our word to you has not been yes and no. Verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always what? Yes. First of all, you see, Paul is secondhand. The only reason it matters that he's faithful is so you know that God is faithful. The only reason it matters that you can trust Paul is so that through Paul, you can meet Jesus, the son of God that he proclaims. He's secondhand. In the end, he doesn't care what you think about him. He cares what you think about Jesus. But that's why it matters what you care about him. Same thing with us, right? I want you to believe in my faithfulness, not so you can be like, oh, Matt's faithful, but so you can trust, hopefully, anything that I'm important, I, I say to you. Paul's, second, Paul's faithfulness is secondhand. It comes from the faithfulness of God. But look at this, God's faithfulness to you in Christ. Now, have you, have you ever wondered if God could really be for you personally? And we have this idea that God loves people in general, or maybe this feeling that God loves super good people, but we have this skepticism that when it comes to me, I'm just too, to what? What, what? what does your heart say? I've messed it up too many times. Or I've been gone too long. I used to go to church. I haven't been to church in a long time. I don't know if God still has, still has any room for me. Or maybe it's, do you know my past? Do you know, do you know the really bad things I've done? He can't be for me. Or he could just be, every day I mess this up. I can't even do these other things right in my life. Why would, why would God like me? God's too something to love me, or I'm too something for him to love me. Look at this. Look at verse 20. We read this, the, the one sentence with me in verse 20, starting with the word for. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is such a sweeping statement that you almost can't feel it because it's so huge. But let's just try to break it down a little bit. Every good promise that God has ever made in the whole Bible because most of the time the Bible Paul's working from is what we call the Old Testament. Every promise God ever made to anybody in the whole Bible, if you trust the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is that promise for you? What's God's word for you every time? Yes. 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 Look at just a few. Joshua 1.9. Joshua 1.9. nine. God says to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong. And what? Courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why not? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Is that true for you? You're not Joshua, some ancient, awesome Israelite leader. What does that promise have to do with you? What do you do with that? I trust Christ. I'm in Christ, the son of God. He lived for me, died for me, rose for me. I'm his And all of God's promises are what? Yes, yes, he's with you wherever you go. How about this one, Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make, God says. I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. And Lord, you're gonna love what God loves. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Is it true for you that God will forgive all your sin and won't hold any of it against you? Is it true for you that you know him you can know him personally. You can actually call him your God. He's my God, and I'm his. Is this true? All of God's promises are what? Yes, in Christ, yes. Deuteronomy 26.11. I tried to pick some more random things maybe you've never heard of. 26.11, and you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you. And just suck on that one for a moment. You shall what? Rejoice. That's not a law like, be happy now. I can't. No, you will actually rejoice. And what will you rejoice in? All the good, so much good, that who has given you? The Lord has given you. You'll rejoice in all this. Is that true for you? All God's promises are yes in Christ. Here's one of my favorite ones. Zephaniah 3:17 The Lord your God is in your midst A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness He will quiet you by his love He will exult over you with loud singing Can you let your heart feel what this might be like First of all the Lord your God is what He's with you in your midst just right here God here And he's a mighty one. And what does he do? Saves. He's here for you to save you. And then just be blown away. What's he gonna do over you? Rejoice over you with gladness. Now, my heart says, God, why would you rejoice over me with gladness? What on earth would you find in me to rejoice over? And the answer is in Christ. You trust in Christ. Can you imagine God rejoicing over you with gladness? What is that like? I love you. I'm so happy you're mine. I'm so happy I have you. He will quiet you by his love. It's this idea that you're a mess and you're broken and you're angry and his love sweeps in and he just comforts you with his love. And then, can you even imagine this one? He he will exult over you with loud singing, that is a solo I wanna hear. I wanna hear, will you even be able to handle that? I will not be able to handle this. This It's too vulnerable, it's too intimate. God, the holy one who makes everything, the righteous one, the God of holy wrath, the God of creation, that God will somehow, he will sing and put your name in it, I dare you. Will he sing over Matt with loud singing? Will he sing over you, your name, with loud singing? Can you read that? Does he actually love you like that? And won't you just be like, I mean, it'll just be over. All God's promises are yes for you in Christ. Is God ever gonna change his mind about you if you're in Christ? I'm gonna gonna rejoice over this person with loud singing, you know what, never mind, they're bugging me to death. Gosh. Dude has 12 Bibles, hasn't cracked one. They keep going back to the same stuff. That's what you and I are like, up and down with people. God is faithful in a way that you cannot imagine. And he's never changed his mind toward you. If you're in Christ, his answer for you, his heart for you, is always what? Yeah, I love you. That's faithful. How can it be, you say? Well, this is how it can be. Jesus, you haven't lived a life that deserved this kind of love? Me neither. Only one person ever did, Jesus. He did it perfectly, perfectly. So the love, the, the father bask on the son is ours because you're in Christ, his perfect life, the merit of that's given to you. What about your sin, all the evil you've done? Well, that's the cross, right? Jesus died on the sin for your cross. He paid for, he, he took the punishment you deserve so it's all, it's all over now. Justice has been done. And so for you, if you're in Christ, you're innocent before God, His resurrection was for you. His his reign for you now is for you. His return, he will return for you in Christ if you trust him, if you trust your life to him. All God's promises are yes. That's why Paul says, it's through him we utter our amen to him for his glory. So what do we say after we pray? Amen. Amen. Why do we say it? I don't know. (laughs) Why are we supposed to say it? God's heart for us is yes, in Christ Jesus. I believe you heard me. I believe you care about me. I believe you're gonna keep your promises towards me. Amen, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. God's promises are yes, in Christ. He's faithful, amen, I believe it, amen. He's faithful, he keeps his promises. Now what about this? We we said all these great things, uh, just like four or five that I mentioned right now. Do you have all of these already? Are you rejoicing in the good the Lord your God has given you? Be honest. No. Sort of. Yes? No? Do you exult that He loves you so much? Sometimes. Right? Are you courageous in him because you know he's with you? Depends. Okay, this totally hits on something that's so important in the Christian life, and Paul's gonna get it to to you right here. Uh, Just just look, first of all, at verse 22. I'm gonna get to the rest of it here in a second, but just look at verse 22 right now. God has given, he's put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. His spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Uh, maybe a better translation for that would be down payment. So what's a down payment? Um, you're gonna buy a house. Supposedly people do that in other states. Um, <laughs> you've heard of it at least. Okay, if you're gonna buy a house, you put a, a down payment down. You paid for it. Is it your house? Okay. But do you, is it, do you own it clear yet? okay. God's buying you a house. The house of all of his promises, yes. He's buying it. And the down payment he's given to you so that you believe it, you'll live in it is that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And so it's really this idea of already but not yet. Already but not yet. So think of a verse like John 3:16. God's a love the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should have what? It says eternal life, not the possibility of eternal life. You see the difference? Possibility of eternal life would be like, I hope I get it one day if I believe. Well, you will get it one day, but that's because it started now. You, you have eternal life now. You have God's life in you now. Do you have it fully? No, you will. So you have it truly now, but not fully. Already, but not yet. And so Paul's saying, hey, look, all of God's promises for you are yes, and he anticipates what we're thinking. He thought it before. Yeah, I believe it, but, but I don't have all of it. That's normal, Paul says. Look at verse 21. Here's what we do have. It's God who establishes us with you in Christ. It's amazing that Paul would say this. Remember, half of that church is slandering him right now. And he says, it's God who establishes us with you in Christ. And commentators say, if, if we gave this to ourselves literally, it would be, God has Christed you. God has Christed us with you Christward. That's what he said. He has Christed us with you Christward. What's that mean? You've been Christed. It's, it's another way of looking at your unification with Christ. He has connected you with Christ. He has put you with Christ. And he's done that Christ word, which means you're gonna get closer in that and go deeper in that, and he's never gonna stop doing that. It basically means God is really passionate about having you with Christ and keeping you with Christ forever. He's never gonna stop. Yes, in Christ, I'm keeping you. He's established us with you. And and we do it together. Do you see this? Us with you, apostles with the Corinthians, me with you, you with me. He's Christed us Christward. We're on this road together towards Jesus, in Jesus, with Jesus. Then he says, and he's anointed us and put his seal on us and given us his spirit. You ever heard of the word anointing? Uh, when the priest or the king in the Old Testament was set aside for an important job, they'd pour oil on his head. It was a symbol of God's favor, his presence, his blessing so that, that he could do what he's supposed to do and be who he's supposed to be. Okay? Who's the royal priesthood now, biblically speaking? Jesus is the ultimate royal priest. And then if we're in him, we're called this many places. You are a royal priest. And he's, what has he done for you? He's anointed you, given you what you need for it. And, and what is the anointing? It's the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is with you to keep you, to move in you, to encourage you. Verse 22, and the spirit is the seal on us. So what's the seal? Seal does two things. Uh, Some commentators say it's like the idea of a name brand. So how many of you are dollar store shoppers? You gotta save some money, right? It works sometimes. Other times you settle for a second class brand name, guess what's gonna happen? You pay for what you get, you know? It's not gonna work. It's junk, it's trashy. The seal idea is, hey, this is brand name stuff. My name is on you. The name of Jesus is on you. I've marked you, you belong to me. I've Christed you Christward. My heart towards you is yes, you're mine. God's seal on you. Is that cool? I like that. I wear his name. Second, there's a preserving idea too. I'm gonna keep you with me. So you have my name on you, but I'm, I'm gonna keep you belonging to me. I've sealed you, you can't get out. I'm keeping you. And I've given you my spirit as a down payment. So the idea here is God is faithful, right? He's faithful in our midst, even though we don't have it all in fulfillment. We have it already. But not yet. He's faithful now and we can experience it now. We can taste it now. Our hearts love it now. We do it together and we know there's the spirit. How do you know you have the spirit? How do you know? I mean, we should be testing ourselves, right? Do I, is this real for me? Do I have this? Have God made this down payment for me? There's a few ways to ask it. Number one, do you trust Christ. Do you look at him and say, I need you to save me from my sins? I believe you are who you are. Save me. I call out to you. Save me. If that's you, what do you think moved your heart to to go that direction? That was the spirit. What about this? We read these words. We read these promises. Did you get excited at all about God singing over you? Did you get excited at all about him giving you courage? Did your heart go, yeah, I want that. I need that. Oh, I want to do that. That's the spirit in you. If you found any longing for Jesus, that's the spirit in you, which is the great part is, so you're longing for Jesus and then you're wondering, I, I wonder if this is for me. And God says, even the fact that you're longing for me shows you I love you and I've got you. It's an encouragement. If you long for me, it shows you <laughs> you don't even know how much I love you already. You're mine. I've Christed you Christward. So is the apostle faithful? Yes. Is God faithful? Yes. What about your boast? What do you boast in? What do you look to for joy, for courage? What's your heart go to? Where do you run? The danger for us is that we would let a secondary thing become an ultimate thing. That's the danger. Something that's good, but that's not God. And You put something that's good, but not God, in God's place. Um, you boast in something that won't be faithful. It won't get you there. You won't make it. So two parts here. See the ultimate boast. But trust the apostle enough to hear his words about the Lord Jesus. Boast in Christ. Boast in Christ who he is for you and his love, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his presence, his truth. Boast in Christ. Rejoice in his love for you. That will be all the courage you need ever. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. You're going to stand before him. What do you want to hear? I know what I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Boast in him. And then as you boast in him, be the boast for others. Remember that? Paul says, what's, What's the whole point here again? Paul's saying, I'm faithful, so you can trust what I'm saying. Paul is saying, on the last day you're gonna boast in me, I'm gonna boast in you, Corinthians. True or false, we can see a picture of God's faithfulness in one another. Do you have your eyes on the ultimate boast? Are you trusting in Christ? First question, second one. Because of the strength of his faithfulness to you, are you living that faithfulness to one another? Do you glow with his faithfulness? Think about how we talk to one another. Do we tell the truth in how we live? Do we use people? Do we flake out? Or yes, is it, do we try to make our voice like the Lord's? Truth. What about in our motives? Do you remember what Paul said about these people? I want your joy in Christ. I want you to boast in Christ. What are our motives towards everyone around us? Does it come out in how we live and how we say? Would people say of us, they're faithful people. God is always faithful to us in Christ. His heart says yes. May that be our boast. And that because of his faithfulness to us, let us show that faithfulness to others. Because don't you praise God, don't you see his faithfulness in this church all the time? All the time. And I love the idea of standing before the Lord, boasting in him first of all, and then boasting in you. We made it together. And then won't you be floored when somebody else boasts in you? They say, this person helped me. They encouraged me. They kept me going. You'll be like, wow. And none of it will be selfish or prideful because it's all going to Christ. It was his faithfulness that enabled us to be faithful so that we're boasting. Boasting in him, boasting in one another. Keep that in your heart. Is that your boast? When he's your boast, when living for him is your boast, guess what you'll find? Courage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you've sent us Jesus, that all your promises are yes for us in him. We can't wait to hear you sing. We can't wait to rejoice in your goodness. We pray that as we live in this already but not yet, that you would be our boast right now, today, that we put all our hope in you, Lord, who you are, what you've done for us, And we pray that as you are our boast, our strength, that um, you would make us faithful like you are faithful. And what we say and what we do and our motives, our integrity, we'd watch our conscience because we belong to you, we're loved by you, and we're gonna stand before you. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when we boast in you, we boast in one another. Uh, We thank you that you'll make it come to pass. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.